Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This episode of State of the Nova Nation is sponsored by our friends at Homefield. Introducing our new sponsor, Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, Homefield brings you incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. They dig through the archives and history of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments to make thoughtful designs. Homefield is kicking off Big New Saturday Season 3, where they launch a new school on their site every Saturday for eight weeks in a row. And Villanova is coming up for Week 6 on Saturday, February 26th. Be sure to use promo code VUHOOPS at checkout. That's VUHOOPS, all one word, all capital for a discount on homefieldapparel.com for their upcoming Villanova launch to make sure you're all set for March. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the State of the Nova Nation podcast from VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton, he's Pat Zhang, and Pat, it is good to hmm. be back. How's it going? Welcome back. How are you doing? How was the Olympic shift? Thank you. It was good. Uh, I said it all the time while we were while I was working to the people I was working with. Time has never moved faster in my <laughs> entire life than it did in the month of February, but it was an incredible experience. I get to say now that I work the summer and winter Olympics, which are two of the best sporting events to ever exist. Uh, The team USA did really, really well. It was so interesting to go from a summer Olympics to a winter Olympics, just because the scale of it is so different, but such an incredible opportunity. And has the body uh, gotten back to the normal time? Are you still on Beijing time? So good question. I am pretty much back to normal. I don't, I can't remember if I said it before I left, I worked 3 a.m. to 1 p.m. So setting that alarm for two wasn't that easy (laughs) at the beginning, but I was able to go to go to bed around seven or so and got a decent amount of sleep. And the my counterpart worked 6 p.m. to 4 a.m. So I feel like we we both kind of got the bad end of the stick, but we made Mm. it work. And it's it's crazy how quickly you adjust back to normalcy. And I've been able to take a lot of time this week to just chill. So doing all right. Good, good. Yeah. So every, for everyone wondering out there, that shift is why Emma was not on for the last <laughs> for the last month or so, because those hours don't exactly line up great with yeah. Villanova basketball. Um, yeah. But she was doing great work. She got such a cool experience here and I could not be more happy to welcome her back. Yeah. One last quick thing. There was one day that I messed up my sleeping schedule for a sporting event and it was on the day of the Super Bowl. And that started at 6 p.m. So I got home. I actually got less sleep on Saturday so that I could wake up, be really tired during work, get home from work around 1.30. I slept from 1.30 to 6, 
woke up, watched the game, and then went back to sleep around 11 and slept from 11 to 2. So to have to do that for every Villanova game would have been a little much. So I'm (laughs) a little bit out of touch, but uh, excited to be back. And you deserve so much credit, Pat, and Eugene and Brendan and everybody else who helped out and sent in questions and continued to listen. Thank you so, so much. And like I said, I don't want to be that dead horse, but I missed this so much and coming back in really the swing of the season. So I'm psyched. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, so happy to have you back. And I'm just glad I was able to keep the lights on uh, for oh, the last did. couple of weeks. So. You did more than that. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Why, thank you. And thank you to everyone who listened through it as well. Uh, really, really excited to be back as a duo and, and appreciate the support going through this uh, solo. 100%. Yeah. So uh, not sure if you heard that there was kind of a big game this week. It just, just a bit. And not only was it a big game, this is also episode 200 of State of the Nova Nation. <laughs> A lot of big benchmarks. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I should have said that right off the top. I mean, Chris and Eugene, we've been talking about them the entire season, but they had six or seven seasons worth all these episodes, and then it was able to accumulate into 200 today, which is just an insane accomplishment. So what a what a crazy thing for them. So proud to be a part of it. Uh, And yeah, as Dan Hurley may have said, it's come. Hmm. it's come and UConn is here and we will get into everything obviously but what an epic Big East matchup is the first thing I want to say about it man you you really picked an episode to come back where there wasn't much to talk about (laughs) after a game right it's almost like I planned it yeah Yeah, wow exactly no epic Big East matchup is exactly how I would look at it I understand it certainly didn't end the way (laughs) that we all wanted it to as Villanovans, and it sure as hell didn't end in a clean way based on the refereeing as well, which is just an unavoidable point that we'll have to talk about. Um, But what an awesome game is kind of what I point to. It was back and forth. It was high level basketball. Well, it wasn't a, it wasn't just a slog with both teams, you know, staying in it. It was one of the most enjoyable games to watch kind of from start to finish. You add in the atmosphere of it, a bunch of big plays from both teams. Of course, the Hurley ejection is going to be a, uh, a part that I think many of us remember for a very long time. Um, that, that goes down as, as one of my, you know, favorite games to watch, even though it did end of course in a loss. Yeah, so actually, my first question was going to be, which game was more fun to watch, Providence or UConn? <laughs> Providence, because we won. Because <laughs> we won, okay. Because you and I talked about it during the game, and I I was going to say I hope people feel this way. I would be actually totally sympathetic if you're still pissed off about it, because it was mm. a really, really tough pill to swallow to lose that game. But I hope that in the day that we had Pat and I recording on Wednesday night, as usual, and we said that it was probably a good thing that we didn't record immediately after the game, because there would have been a lot of thoughts that have since been processed a little bit better, but this is a game that Villanova can rebound. It would have been a phenomenal game to win, especially on the road in the same arena, the same type of environment that Villanova won at Providence, which is also an incredible game, but you saw it in the court storming. This was the game for UConn and it's kind of nice that this is just just ho-hum for Villanova they're gonna get over it they're gonna be fine this isn't the season breaker this isn't the season opener like it was for UConn so Mm. that that's the thought that was has been running through my head today it's nice to be in that type of position because that's how Providence felt too that was the game the coming out ceremony for Providence and it just doesn't really matter to Villanova 
Yeah, it, it, in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to play in too much. I, Providence, as I said, I enjoyed more, of course, because we won. If, if we look back and say Big East lore, this mm-hmm. UConn game is most certainly going to be the one remembered over that Providence game. Uh, it doesn't affect Nova all that much other than the fact that it probably does give the Friars their first Big East yes. regular season title ever. Um, yeah. Uh, for them and, and locks in villain shouldn't say locks in yet. Cause there are a couple games left, but Villanova will most likely be playing at 7 PM on that first mm-hmm. Thursday of the big East tournament, which I can't say I'm all that upset about. I was just going to say, to be honest, I'm kind of happier with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, that kind of works out nicely there, but in the yeah. grant, as you said, grand scheme of things, UConn is a miserable matchup for Villanova. Mm-hmm. It is something that has been referenced many times on this show. So I can't say I was shocked when they dropped that game. Uh, on Tuesday night. This is a good UConn team that just struggles with consistency sometimes. And that's their biggest enemy because there's so much talent uh, all around it. And it, it doesn't affect things all that much. It, it, you know, as I said, Villanova now is a, a two seed kind of in the big East tournament. We'll talk about their NCAA tournament seating uh, later for the mailbag. So I, I guess I won't go into that right now. It didn't change a whole lot as pissed off as I'm sure a lot of Nova Nation <laughs> was losing that game. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel the same way. And I also think in terms of Big East lore, that has to do with the crowd and Hurley and the refereeing mm-hmm. as opposed to to the basketball, which Mr. James Breeding. Yeah, and in, in a in a league like Big East, I guess you expect that, which is a good thing. I I like that the Big East is known for that. But first of all, I think we should start there. What did you think about the ejection? Oh, we're gonna start with the referee. I think they got it because yeah. I have some interesting thoughts about it. Yeah, sure. No, would love to hear it. Uh, the first one's 100% a technical, and he uh, Raft even said on the possession before that Hurley had to be careful because mm-hmm. you could they had the camera. Yeah, you could yeah. they had the camera on him, and you don't have to be a lip reading expert to see that there were some <laughs> words to start with the letter F that started to come out of his mouth, and that'll usually be uh, your signal to the referees for a technical. Um, so I have no problem with that one. I did find the ejection pretty ridiculous for him than hyping up the the crowd like that. That is not the first time Hurley has done that this season where he's turned to the crowd and tried to whip them up. Yes, I get it. He was kind of building off of the fact that he just got a technical and wanted the crowd to really ride on that and get on that and be on the referees. So I, I could see that. But to eject a coach for that, eh, I can't say I agree with it. And I thought that was pretty ridiculous. Yeah, it makes the feeling a little ticky tacky, which I think leaves a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. What it came down to to me was that it was just disrespectful. Mm-hmm. The reason why he's hyping up the crowd is because he's, he's taking a shot at the, the fact that he just got a, a tech. Yeah, and a warning. And I'm sure there are words being said that, be, that we didn't catch either. I mean, James Breeding got a ton of flack for everything that happened and a lot of it was deserved, but we didn't see the whole thing. We didn't know what Hurley was saying to him. We saw how calm Jay Wright was for the duration of this game, which I think should speak volumes to Villanova fans that are used to what he usually does. On <laughs> He's usually extremely vocal. So I just thought it was, it was kind of a crummy move. It has nothing to do with how elite of a coach he is and how talented he is. I, I honestly don't care about that. I think I thought it was kind of a rude, disrespectful thing to do. Yeah. You can hype up the crowd, but it felt like a shot at the ref that wasn't necessary. It, it certainly was. I just find it really soft coming on yeah. being that he just gave him a technical, you know, they, they can give him that first technical and then have him on a short leash the rest mm-hmm. of the game. I find that just, as I said, really soft 
to then throw on a double technical, knowing you're ejecting the guy for what he's doing. Absolutely. It is a backhanded shot at the refs, but what he was doing 100%, but in a game of that magnitude to throw a guy out for it, I, I can't. Yeah. Is it, I can't. is it worth getting thrown out over? Probably yeah. not. And then you add in the point to where the athletic did this fantastic article earlier in the year where they basically took quotes from coaches yeah, they or pulled them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. From about all the referees or most of the referees around college basketball and James breeding. There's only one line in the article of a coach that, you know, wasn't on record based on their name, but on record on the quote, the quote is can be almost impossible to talk to mm-hmm. difficult disposition. So not the first time for Mr. James Breeding that uh, he's had some uh, interesting situations. We'll go. We've had a lot of refereeing incidents this season. It feels yeah. like <laughs> maybe more than usual. And you and I don't like to talk about refs. I hate it. So I hate it. for us to talk about it means that it's literally unavoidable. But I think this was the first time this season that the temperament of a referee, the importance of that was magnified because mm-hmm. that's a really big deal. You have to change the way potentially that you coach based on the temperament of a ref. And that's a big deal. And obviously it didn't work out to Hurley's favor. And that has nothing to do with how Kamani coach, how Kamani young coached in his wake, because UConn obviously came away with the win, but let's get into some of the, the nitty gritty. Now, obviously I had separated it into some positive and negatives. That's how we usually do it. But We can take this in a lot of ways. And like Pat said at the beginning, this was a really good one to come back for because Villanova doesn't play until next Tuesday. So this will be a very UConn-focused episode. Mm -hmm. But UConn did come away with a 71-69 to win at the XL Center, which I think is something worth noting. What do you want to get into first? (laughs) I mean, I feel like you kind of just have to start with the the end of game situation because it was obviously that's where the game was literally lost um Mm -hmm. was in those last 30 seconds there so you know when it comes down to it and Villanova's up four with I believe 40 seconds left is when Slater hits the two free throws forces a UConn turnover and Caleb Daniels is going to the line within 30 seconds left I feel like you're feeling pretty good I know Mm -hmm. I was I, I certainly think things you know, we're, we're rather wrapped up or wrapped up's not the fair way, but we're going towards being wrapped up. Of course, Caleb misses the front end of the, the one and one Tyler Polly comes down and hits the ridiculous three. Uh, and then all hell breaks loose would be the best way I can describe the final possessions for both teams. Yeah. I remember texting you. I feel like I'm talking a lot about what we said, but it's only because it was so relevant, mm. <laughs> but I remember texting you when we felt like it was pretty wrapped up saying, unless Villanova does something incredibly uncharacteristic, like hmm, miss a free throw or turn the ball over twice, or somebody like Polly or Tyrese Martin nails a big time three, we should probably be okay. And the exact opposite happened. So I guess I will take fault for manifesting that. Um, I'm going to go right back into refereeing again. I'm sorry. No, it has to. It has to. We got to talk about it. It has to. I have a really, really hard time still thinking about the jump ball call because I get the the charge. I really do. And actually, I think Colin had a really uncharacteristic, uncharacteristically aggressive game. How many offensive fouls did he get? At least three? Uh, yeah, throwing out that arm, there were a couple that weren't even subtle. <laughs> no. uh, this one was definitely more on the subtle time, but as a ref, I can see why you have to call that if he slides into the zone, even if you disagree with the rule. The jump ball was 
one of the most insane calls I've ever seen. I don't understand how you could wrap your arm around somebody and have that be just going for the ball. It's not going for the ball when you have a person wrapped around you. And another thing that I'm sure a lot of people are thinking about is, oh, don't blame us on the ref. If Caleb had made that free throw, if they had played better three-point defense and that Pauly three didn't go in, yada, 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 yada. If you make any thought, if, if you make so many different things, it's just hard to swallow when mm-hmm. you see a call get made that's that wrong. And it hasn't, fortunately for us, I guess, we haven't had a call like that affect Ooh. us the way that some other schools had, like Seton Hall, probably over a month ago at this point. No, love that you said that because I was going to go there. Where Villanova, we've talked about refereeing at times and where it's been frustrating with, especially earlier in the season, it was a complete foul fest and it really mm-hmm. messed up you know, the, the flow of games. There was a weird game while well, well, you weren't here. It was either against Seton Hall or the UConn game at Wells Fargo where just no fouls were called. And it was just the weirdest thing because everything had been a foul. But yeah. Villanova hadn't been in a game where a referee had really changed the whole disposition of the game with a call. <laughs> uh, well, a couple teams have. You, you mentioned Seton Hall, and there have been some more instances this year where it's happened as well. This most certainly was, uh, you know, on the charge first, it's not a charge. It's a block because his, you know, his feet are moving. But I can at least stomach that to your point yeah. more than the just one of the most egregious jump ball calls I have ever seen where he is wrapping Colin up through his back and over his head <laughs> clearly doesn't have the ball. Um, now, can an argument be made that Colin should have called timeout? Absolutely. Um, In both Vill- situations. Yep. Yeah. Cause Villanova did have a timeout. Uh, can the argument also be made that inbounding, I think Alan Ray made this point actually on Twitter that inbounding is still an issue because Colin, I know they want to get the ball to Colin Gillespie. Of course they do. He's a 90, what 3% uh, free throw shooter. But if you're going to inbound it to him in the corner, you know UConn's going to bring the double. And, of course, he's got the sideline right there, so he's got to nowhere to yeah. go. Yeah, so, that was uh, Alan's point. Yeah, so a part of it's on the inbounding as well. Uh, you know, of course, they missed the front end of the one-and-one. One. I don't even want to kill them for the three-point defense on Polly because it's just such a ridiculous three. And I think Slater <laughs> defended R.J. Cole's drive really well. He didn't want yeah. to foul him, and Cole just threw it up and it went in because R.J. Cole is a closer. Um Villanova didn't execute when they needed to cleanly down the stretch when it came to inbounding, when it came to, you know, closing things out and the free throw. And that's where the game was lost. The refereeing is brutal. The jump ball is disgusting, honestly, to to put it that way. But I'm most furious with the fact that this Nova team had a chance to close out UConn on the road and didn't do it. Yeah. So, we have a few questions as usual in our mailbag to, to mm-hmm. finish this episode out. And I have a few existential fun ones and I'm actually going to have to pull one out now because you just teed it up so perfectly. Oh. And it has to do with closing. It's something we've talked about ad nauseum this entire just season, obviously, <laughs> but do you think they lost this game because they were gassed? Take out the refereeing part, but do you think fatigue played a factor in this game? Oh, um, Yes, uh, partially. I, I mean, it's been talked about. It's not something I want to go, you know, fully into just because we have talked to it, as you say, at nauseum. But, you know, it, it's Caleb Daniels, which we know for 27 minutes. Chris Archdiacono played six and Brian Antoine and Jordan Longino didn't get into the game. I, I just disagree with it. It's as simple as that. I, I disagree with it. I, I don't fully understand the complete kind of refusal of playing it. I know Brendan had him on earlier this week, and he had a great point, a very true point that Jay is looking to shore up the rotation 
work on that on-court chemistry uh, and make sure that things are good for March for the guys that he's going to play in, in crunch moments. And he's dead on, 100% right about that. But that doesn't mean that you can't find stretches throughout the game, even small stretches where a Brian Antoine especially or a Jordan Longino can come in and just spell some of these guys. I don't know if it came down to straight exhaustion. I do think a part of it was just, you know, poor closing in a hostile environment against a good team. Um, But that that's kind of how I would look at it. What do you think? Yeah, I was actually going to bring up the conversation that you and Brendan had, because I also thought that Brendan brought up a really logical, rational point. The only thing that's frustrating is that it really felt like we hit our groove in January. Mm. (laughs) So you mean when the bench was playing? Exactly. (laughs) That point maybe would have been really great if Longino was getting 15 minutes in November, December, when nobody really cares. It truly felt like in January was when Villanova had its deepest roster. And I also understand that point. And that's kind of what I've been preaching all season long, that Jay is going to ride or die with his six guys, mm-hmm. but it's still, it's still tough to swallow. Um, I, I just had to tee that up because I do think it's a factor. And every single time Villanova comes down and includes scheme, win or lose, that question is going to be asked. I just think yep. it's interesting because that wasn't the first thing I thought of. And there have been games where it was, even at the games, even the non-conference games where this whole narrative was born, mm-hmm. when Collins missing open shots that he would be nailing otherwise against the UCLA's and the Purdue's, it's very obvious, even if I tried to come up with other reasons why that they were gassed, it didn't really look like it this game. It was just that there were, there were some poor calls and there was a lucky shot. And RJ Cole played better than Villanova did in that last minute. And I think that deserves to be talked about because people have been on him all season long, Pat. And he showed up in their mm-hmm. biggest game of the season. Yeah, he, he did. And listen, a lot of UConn did. <laughs> yeah. They, they played really, especially, you know, after losing your coach in the mm-hmm. first half with so much time to go. And that team just seemingly was just not affected by it Unfazed. at all. Yeah. It's really impressive. And it's what I've, I've mentioned. This team is so talented. It actually blows my mind that UConn has had the struggles that they do because you look up and down in ro- this roster and they have balance. They're not the greatest shooting team ever, but they can hurt you out there, you know, with Cole, with Sonogo, with Whaley, with Polly, with Andre Jackson, who played possibly the best game I've seen him play. Um, and I've seen a, a decent amount of UConn. So this roster is really good. I I don't want Villanova fans to take that to heart. I think it's more of losing to UConn, losing to that big rival and losing in the way that they did, which is what leaves such that bitter taste in your mouth. Yeah, Uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. And it was also UConn's first win over Nova since 2014. 2014, yep. That's a pretty stark number there. Uh, So that being said, would you give the MVP to RJ Cole or to Adama Sonogo. Oh, you know who I'm picking for this one. <laughs> so my, but let's get right into it because this is exactly where I want to go. Yeah, no, it, Adama Sonogo is, I, I tried to kind of tee it up on, on Tuesday's episode saying that what we saw from Sonogo in UConn part one was not the normal Adama Sonogo. You know, he, he struggled with, with the fouls. He still shot seven for nine in that first game for 14 points. I believe he was scoreless at the half too, and ended up scoring 14, all 14 in the second. But here in game two, Sonogo affected the game from the outset and he's just a beast. And for my money is the best center in the conference, 20 points to go with six rebounds. He gave uh, UConn an outlet 
underneath the basket every single time if they did want to go there. Uh, it, Jay, it did seem wanted to have Caleb in a lot and went mm. small. And UConn certainly went down there a lot. And then for Eric Dixon as well, Dixon had an incredibly quiet game. Uh, just one for four, four points uh, on the offensive side of the ball. His hesitation was really a factor in that. And I, I know we've talked about his hesitancy throughout the season because it certainly has been a reoccurring theme, but it was even more uh, exemplified in this game. And I believe it is because of kind of the impact that Sonogo has and Whaley to a lesser extent. So I did look at this uh, in this game uh, or for, for the season. UConn has 179 blocks this Whoa. season as a team. For your comparison, Villanova has 64. <laughs> Go further oh, than different. that. Just Sonogo and Whaley have 107. Wow. They dominate the interior paint. And I think that that certainly played a part in Villanova, who only shot 47% from two in this game, which is the worst it's been uh, for a little while from them. They did shoot 50% against Seton Hall, um, but they struggled from inside the, inside the three-point line, which is something they really haven't done that much lately. Yeah, remind me to go back to that point, because that's something that you and Brendan also talked about that I wanted to bring back up and what mm-hmm. you guys expected from this game, which I actually think you nailed, but in the worst way possible. <laughs> uh, I have a lot. I'll of, take the compliment. Yeah, that, that is a compliment. It was just manifested in the wrong way. Um, the funny, the, the surprising thing is to me is that it's really not surprising at all why UConn struggled because Sonogo was hurt. And I believe Tyrese Martin was the one that had COVID when they had their COVID issues. And when you see these guys play and how they mesh They're when they're on the man. court. Exactly. So consistency, it seems like that's the, the big thing about UConn. They, they show up for the big games and then they falter. And yes, I think that's fair. But they're also found. They also found their their groove so much later than they could have because of their COVID issues. So it's not surprising to me at all to see Adama Sonogo playing the way that he's playing. And honestly, I, I actually meant to be to start with this at the beginning. You and I had UConn sweeping Villanova. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the fact that even Nova snagged one game, I think, is a win because of how poor of a matchup it is for the Cats. My next point is about Dixon, and I'm not sure if you heard it enough on the broadcast that Adama Snogo had foul trouble in the first game. What? Not no. sure if it came up at all. Uh, so I looked at the box score before it started, and this was not a game that I was able to watch live because of the Olympics. And if you look at Sonogo's numbers, it doesn't seem like no. he sat for a lot. I think he played 27 minutes. That's what, that sounds that's what about said, right. right. Yeah. Yep. And I think the difference is that his absence let Dixon get in his groove and Nova was able to look down low. Mm-hmm. And yes, Whaley is an interior presence. Even some of their guards have a decent size, but that was Dixon's game. And yeah, that was, that was the best linear, game of his career. Right. That was the linear progression that we've seen of Dixon. That was why people were so confident about Dixon's ability against Sonogo in this game. And when it comes down to it, Sonogo is the superior player at this point in both of their careers. So it was nice to see that type of performance from Dixon the first time around. I think Brendan said it on Tuesday. Sonogo is not going to let him do it again from an ego standpoint. So I think he just outplayed him. I think we can talk a lot and I have a lot of thoughts about the game plan in general, but it was interesting to hear you and Brendan. I listened to it this morning. You guys talk about how, 
UConn is a bad three point D team. So maybe Villanova would try to exploit that. Mm. They did. I've got some points <laughs> to actually, talk about there. It actually worked out to UConn's favor. And as a result, Dixon was really just a non entity in this game because he couldn't get going down low. Yeah, just 16 points in the paint for Villanova yeah. in this game. UConn is, won that battle. Yeah. It's just remarkable for how far this team has progressed, too. Mm-hmm. That is a really insane stat. It's such a job well done by UConn. Yeah, th- this is a team that has been thriving by hitting yeah. teams in the paint. Other than that Providence game where I think Providence scored like 50 uh, in the paint against Nova. Nova's been winning that battle most of the time, and they weren't able to do anything. Uh, on the interior this time. And I mentioned they shot 47% from two. I just, I think it's more helpful to see that across some, um, some context from previous games, Uh, 56% against Georgetown from two, 53% against Providence, 61 against St. John's and 61 against UConn. So even though 47%, Oh, that sounds fine. It's much lower than kind of what we've seen in the past couple games. And, you know, you you discuss kind of UConn and, and three point defense and what they did. They don't have the best perimeter defense. Uh, They've been hurt by three-pointers kind of all season long. But what they did is they ran more in Gillespie off the three-point line, never let them get into a groove. More went two for six. Gillespie went two for five. And instead, they gave the three-point shot to Slater and Samuels. Oh, my God, Pat. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Who who took a combined 14 threes in this game, made six of them, which honestly isn't terrible for Slater and Samuels, but – I just think it goes into really good game planning by Hurley and that UConn staff that they were not going to let Moore and Gillespie get those looks and instead dare Slater and Samuels, two guys that we know can be a little hesitant. And we saw it from Samuels about a trillion times um, (laughs) on Tuesday can be a little hesitant to take the shot. And that's exactly what they did. And honestly, at points, I wasn't upset about the hesitancy because I'm not either. I've made that very clear this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one more point about Sonogo before we completely transition to when I watched the replays of the Providence game, and I, we've said this before, so this is nothing new, but we wondered why Nate Watson didn't get fed the ball more down mm-hmm. low. Yeah, right? it was really weird. <laughs> it was really weird because, yes, Dixon is a far better player than he was to start the season, but you can still exploit him a little bit. And there was no logical reason why Nate Watson wasn't doing that. Dan Hurley never went away from that with Sonogo. And there was actually a point when Villanova was playing small. And I say small in parentheses because I do think Daniels does a good job holding his own against some of those bigger players when he does sub in. And there is some substitution in terms of the positions. But as soon in that last two, three, four minute stretch when Daniels was playing and Dixon was on the bench, even though it had served them well at the beginning of the second half, they started feeding Sonogo mm-hmm. down low and that's how this game switched. And that's how they were able to get that momentum. And when you have a big as dominant, as athletic, as versatile as Sonogo, it makes it really, really hard. And it also makes it worse when one of my big keys to this game was that more and Gillespie just didn't get enough shots. And when you have mm-hmm. to put the ball in Slater and Samuels's hands, as much as was necessary, you just don't have that same confidence with putting up shots as we ever had. Yeah, I, I think Slater did fine. It, it wasn't great, you know, in, in terms of him, but I do think he was able to impact the game enough. Uh, I would I would have hoped for with more and Gillespie. 
being really run off the, the three-point line and not able to affect the game as much. And they still finished with a combined 29. I would have loved to see Caleb Daniels be a lot more involved in the offense. The only four field mm. goals is, is really surprising for me. And I think Caleb did a, you know, a nice job throughout most of the game. He had the huge steal when they tried to have that entry pass into Sonogo um, as well. Yes, I understand he, he missed the free throw there, but I, I do think Caleb played a good game. I'm just surprised he didn't factor in more. To, to the offense, especially understanding what UConn's game plan was. I would have loved to have seen him uh, just take more shots because it, it felt like that ball was getting directed in a Slater and Samuel's hands most of the time. And while they can be effective, they are certainly more of complementary pieces uh, that you can't fully trust to lead the scoring tilt. Caleb yep. Daniels has the ability to, to really take over a game from scoring if that shooting is on. And he never had an opportunity to even see if it was there. He only was three or four. Yeah, I, I find myself almost every single game. I have thoughts on the defensive side. This is solely on offense first. He puts up shots that he makes, and they're just insanely contested looks. The three from the, the, the wing was insane. <laughs> yes. It was insane. And it went in, but it was insane. I'm, exactly. I'm not saying that that is, should be the, the primary look every single time, but the bottom line is that he has the ability to make those. And we see it so infrequently because we see him driving to the hoop and then sometimes passing out or having a charge or just there's kind of a litany of things. I think you're right. I think we should be putting the ball in Caleb Daniels hands more, but on the flip side, I thought this was one of the best defensive performances we've seen from him in his entire Villanova mm. career. I really think that I had no idea how well he could play on defense until he did what he did against UConn. He was so good. He's so athletic. Yeah. He, you know, he's so intelligent there. His biggest issue is just that he fouls people sometimes because yeah. he, he can get so aggressive with it, but uh, that aggressiveness and that ability to kind of anticipate plays uh, as we saw there, it's a big factor. It's part of why he plays so much and why Jay does trust him to be out there. I uh, just, as I said, I, I looked at him more offensively would have loved to have seen him kind of carry more of the offensive burden. Yeah. And I guess the other thing that I have issues with is, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because again, I, I am a little bit out of touch it felt like in January, Volnova was in a very good offensive groove, not just because their shooting numbers were up, but because they were finding different ways to score. Mm -hmm. And at least last night, maybe this was a one-off, but they went back to looking very one-dimensional. And the offense looks stagnant. I get that guards are defensive players are going to face guard more in Gillespie. That's the very obvious game plan when you come and play Villanova. And I hadn't seen it that obviously, but when I saw Slater and Samuels getting 10 feet of open space to take the shot and them still missing it, <laughs> it became very stark. My issue is why aren't we creating cuts for ourselves? Why aren't we being more active and trying to get looks down low and pulling defenders in on Dixon and Sl Slater and Samuels and Daniels down low so that we can try and get more and Gillespie open on the wing. It just didn't seem like that was there. It felt much more stagnant than it had been. And I think that got a little better when Moore and Gillespie started hitting more shots. I, I thought Colin had a really good second half, but it just calls into question truly how far this team can go in March when they come into these cold stretches where none of them are even going into the paint. They're just mm. standing on the perimeter and waiting for a pass and waiting to put a shot up. And that is so frustrating to watch. It, it certainly is. I think they have kind of expanded more on scoring ways. And we've seen it lately where, 
you know, I know we were both drilling for them to get more into the paint. They did friend for a while and it, it had some really nice results. I truly do believe here that it was a case that UConn owns the paint just yeah. with their personnel. And I think Jay tried to make a, uh, you know, a game plan decision here that they were going to have to try and hurt team, hurt them more from the perimeter than from inside because the Huskies are just so brutal from underneath, especially if you're not able to get Sonogo kind of out of the game early, which they certainly mm-hmm. weren't. I know he finished with four fouls, but there was never a case where he had to sit for an extended period of time uh, with the fouls. And so that's why I think that you saw things so uh, perimeter based uh, in yeah. this game specifically. Uh, I mean, listen, they use it against Providence too. Uh, that it was, it was a bunch of three. So I think they are, they are going to three a little more than after regressing previously. But uh, I just I do find this to be more of a matchup based thing. Yeah. And I think that's fair enough. Right. And, and you have to work with what the team is giving mm-hmm. you. It just so happened that the shots were falling much more frequently against Providence as they did against UConn. And that's, yeah. that happens. It just brings the weaknesses of this team into such a harsher light when they do have. I mean, I, I actually didn't mean to be this harsh going into this podcast. I feel like <laughs> I'm being very, very harsh. They shot almost 46 percent from the floor, 44% from three. I don't think that's a bad shooting night by any stretch, but the shots that really mattered definitely felt like this game got out of hand because Gillespie and Moore were uh, less successful than they've been in the, in the last few games. And it just makes me think about the future and how you can't have an on night every single night. Hey, we tell it like it is here. That's yeah. why you, you will get your positive, but both of us are not afraid to yeah. bring you the negative on it too. Um, and, and just one kind of more thing offensively, and it's something that I bring up often, and it's just because it scares me and it happened again. Villanova had zero fast break points on Tuesday yeah. night. And I, as I say every single time, I understand the tempo. I understand wearing things down. I understand trying to control things. But when there is what sometimes seems like a complete inability or just no desire to push tempo at times to try and throw a little wrinkle in, I think that can hurt this team. I I, I really do. I, I think that it, it makes you a little one dimensional is not fully fair, but it, there are times where it's OK to push the pace and try and score and transition. And this team just really doesn't like to do that at all. Yeah, I think predictable might be the word that you're looking for. I like for. that. I like yeah, predictable. Right? We can we because can it go. does. This team can still win without it, but it's becoming very predictable. Even when their UConn's down a guy, Villanova refuses to pick up the pace. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible to watch. To be honest with you, um, I had one more point, and I know that you have talked about it a lot in the episodes that I haven't been here, but. Yes, this has a lot to do with the certain refereeing group that we have on the court for a certain game, but it's as simple as this. If Villanova doesn't get to the line, they no longer have their absolute biggest strength, which is their free throw shooting. Oh, I see you've been listening to the show. (laughs) I have. (laughs) My favorite point this year. I have been a loyal listener in my absence, but it is 100% true. They are literally the best free throw shooting team in the country. Of all time right now, actually. Yeah, of all time. And I actually have a few stats, and I think this paints a pretty good picture. So in Nova's five-game win streak before the game on uh, Tuesday, against UConn, they were 21 of 22 from the line. At St. John's, which of course was a a different game, (laughs) they were 20 for 28. Against Seton Hall, they were 15 for 16 from the line. At Providence, they were 20 for 26. 
against Georgetown, they were 17 for 19. And then at UConn, which was that one loss, they were 15 for 19. You might not see any of those numbers and think that they are drastically different. The difference in this game was that Villanova didn't make its first free throw, didn't even get to the line for its first free throw attempt until the 833 mark in the first half. And its next free throw attempt wasn't until Gillespie's technical free throws at the 430 mark when Hurley got ejected. Mm. You can say that that's because there were a lot of no calls and they certainly got to the line more in the second half, almost exclusively in the second half. But when they don't press the paint, they can't go to the line. And when they can't go to the line, they cannot utilize their biggest strength, which is just plucking points. And especially in games that are going to come down to the wire like this game, like the game against Providence will, which I will put money on at this point. Hmm. That's tough. That's tough because they are so good at the free throw line. Yep. And that's the thing. Like I can't even, I I know that everyone's mind goes to the missed free throw from, from Caleb Daniels. I think it's a little overdone to be honest. It is because they shot, they shot 79% from the field. Yeah. (laughs) It's not like they went out. Georgetown shot, I believe was 57% just a couple of days ago. That's a disaster at the foul line team shot 79%. No, they didn't hit all their free throws. And yes, they missed their biggest one of the game. But they're, as you said, they're the best free throw shooting in the country in the team. That's That wasn't English. They're the best free throw <laughs> shooting team in the country. Let's try that again. Um, and they need to get to the line and need to get to the line in bunches to be mm-hmm. successful, to kind of sometimes make up for these offensive warts that we'll see at times. And funny enough, all of that said, According to Ken Palm, they're still the sixth best offense in the entire country. Yeah, I saw that today. I know it's it's still it's kind of crazy to me. Um, it's an interesting mark. Yeah. Clearly, the analytics still fully believe in this Villanova team, especially on the offensive side. Providence fans just threw their phone. Oh, they the heard wall. Ken. Oh my, Ken, Ken Palm is like just the magic word uh, for them. Yeah. yeah, you can't say it's that just, around there. It's just so funny because we had we've had this whole conversation, and Villanova did really well in the point against in the paint against Nate Watson, who I really feel like is neck and neck with Adama Sonogo as for the best big in the conference. So I, that's why I understand why expectations were so high for Dixon in this game to step up and shut Sonogo mm-hmm. down like he did the first time. And I guess sometimes it just doesn't happen, right? That's why it's a long season. And sometimes shooters are hot. Sometimes they're not. But it's just fun. I, I really, I don't even have an explanation. It's just funny to me that sometimes Villanova is able to do such a good job in the paint and you think oh my god they might be small but it doesn't matter at all this team is going to go all the way when they play like that like the the way they played against Providence and then against UConn at times they just couldn't get anything going and it's such a stark difference sometimes you just play a pissed off Adama Sanogo and he's going to take you to the rim and and just dominate the interior and that's exactly what happens he doesn't get enough national credit Actually, there were there were some plays when he went reverse under the basket multiple times. Yeah, I I think he rivals Drew Timmy. Honest to God, I think he can be that good. He's got to get his playing style under control. I definitely think he's a little wild at times, but he is a phenomenal player. Yeah, Timmy's better, but Sonogo has the Sonogo is still a sophomore. Remember, like he he's got time to really grow into that, and certainly is going to be one of and maybe the uh, front runner for Biggie's Player of the Year next year. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Maybe more up there. If you oh, for oh, you talking yeah. to me about Justin Moore, please. 
<laughs> Pat, yeah. I completely ignored him, even though he's the fan. He's the president of the fan. <laughs> I try. And then can I get my one petty shot at UConn before we finish here? Please. Thank please. you very much. Cause it, it just, I have to do this. I couldn't let this escape. We're really going to court storm the yeah. UConn Huskies, a team with so much history, you know, one of the best teams in the, in the history of the big East with everything that's been accomplished there as the 21st ranked team in the country, we're going to court storm against Villanova. My God, how the mighty have fallen. That's just. It's I think that's perfect. How the mighty have fallen is actually the most exact way to put it. And frankly, I'm embarrassed for that. And when I was thinking after the game, I tweeted what I said at the beginning, something along the lines of it feels kind of nice that for for us, this is just whatever, brush it off. Not a big deal. And for UConn, they have to storm to court, even though they're ranked within the top 25. Could it? be more embarrassing and then I thought oh you know what I don't want to be that person I know I thought Uh, about it too but I am yeah you don't want to be a poor sport and just because we lose we have to throw shade but I think it's warranted because that was embarrassing how that went down (laughs) after your coach was just ejected for being disrespectful you're gonna go and do that and they got fined for it you see that today yeah it it comes with every uh course and Val Ackerman was there too so (laughs) you've got Uh, but no, I, I needed to get that shot in. I, I understand, obviously, that, yes, they had fallen. And, yes, that's a huge win for the program. Um, but uh, <laughs> show a little respect for yourself. Uh, it's just you're the Yukon Huskies. Like, yeah. that, that's how I look at it. It's storming the core as a, as a ranked team against another ranked opponent. Like, it's not like Villanova was the number one team in the country. <laughs> So, uh, I, I could, seed. yeah, I could spend a lot of time on it. I won't, but uh, I just needed to get my parting shot in there. Oh my god, I still they've can't won national them. championships in the last fifteen years. What are they thinking? Them. Yeah, just I had to do it. I'm sorry. Oh my god, no, I feel. The and same I'm sure way. some people will be like, "Oh, let the kids have fun yeah, and celebrate." No. And and I get it. I get it. I I understand. Listen, I'm an old man. I I take it. But um, I just I found that it made me chuckle a little bit. It was just a a really. I think we're giving UConn credit for thinking this way, right? <laughs> we're saying that they're better than they gave themselves credit for on Tuesday. <laughs> oh, actually, is... you've heard me talk about them. I think they're yeah. really good. So, yeah, eh, that's my parting shot. No, I, I feel the same way. I think that was everything I had on them. And yeah, we can switch to uh, whip around the Big East and then a couple of questions at the end. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So before we get to that, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our new sponsor, 199. We'll be back right after this. So we have exciting news from our friends and sponsors over at 199, a company creating original designs tailored to the nostalgia of the epic moments in college basketball history. 199 celebrates the era, the players, the coaches, and the rivalries of the game. And speaking of rivalries, check out the newest collection dropped by 199, a Villanova University and the University of Connecticut apparel. 199 restocked your favorite apparel and added new vintage items. So go check out 199.com. That's the numbers one nine and the word nine, all one word, to grab everything you might need. All right. So I'm going to have you take the lead on this whip around the Big East because <laughs> obviously I've been a little bit out of touch. But one thing to note is that Villanova is the one team that does not play this weekend. Yes, the only team in the Big East. That does not play this weekend. So just put your feet up and enjoy some Big East basketball mm-hmm. this weekend. That's that's my plan. Uh, before we get to the weekend, kind of have to mention, uh, so we're recording this on Wednesday nights. So we don't have the scores yet of these games. Creighton and St. John's is playing right now. And then Providence has part one 
of the, the two-part big week where if they win both of these games at home, the Providence Friars will take home their first Big East regular season title in school history. They are hosting Xavier tonight uh, and then have that game against the weekend or game against the weekend. Wow, we're really struggling with English tonight. Um, that game over the weekend against Creighton. Um, this is a big deal because if Providence drops this one against Xavier, the pressure is just going to really start to ramp up on them. And uh, I, I think they do get it done tonight here against Xavier, mm-hmm. but this, this is a big deal. So can, you, you don't think they can do it? I do. I think they're going to win the, the Big East. You think it, they're going to win? Okay. It would have to, they would have to have an all-time choke job to, to blow this at this point. Thank you to the Butler Bulldogs for speaking of all-time choke I was jobs. Just gonna yeah. say <laughs> blowing a 19-point lead at home against jobs. Providence because you oh, really man. could have Villanova an avenue into a, a Big East regular season title. At this point, everything really is coming up. Providence, they have to finish this. Is how I look at it. Yeah, I think they will. I, I really think they're going to make it interesting because that's just the Providence way. But I also think they will win the Big East. Yeah, I, I got a question for you too. Yeah. What the hell is wrong with Marquette? (laughs) Because they won seven of eight and I leave for the Olympics thinking they are legitimately a top 15 team in the country. And then they have just rapidly fallen off a cliff. The Butler loss was one of the most shocking losses in conference this year. I, I, I know the last few years, right? Yeah, I, I know it was at Hinkle. I, I get that, but for them to lose that game and they were down big at one point, I know they, they started to claw back. Honestly, just defensively, things have not been the same for them. In their three losses since you left, they allowed 80 points, 85, and 83 points. Uh, so uh, that's been a struggle for them is that they just haven't been as efficient holding teams down and forcing teams into a bunch of turnovers. Now, they've never been this year a team that completely suffocates you on defense. Mm-hmm. They they thrive in the fact that they're going to outscore you most times, but, you know, play good defense. Of course, we know about the deflections and forcing turnovers and that. That's been their struggle is just defensively lately, things have taken a tumble. And, you know, they've lost some close games that that Butler game was just, I can't wrap my head around it. Um, And, you know, this is a a big stretch for them to try to get back on track. Now they've got Butler over the weekend. They've got DePaul uh, next Wednesday, and then they finish with St. John's, a St. John's team that is really hungry and really trying to push to make any sort of uh, find ways to improve that resume. So they got to take care of business against Butler and DePaul. And then, you know, St. John's is not going to be an easy way to close the year. Yeah, it's honestly a little sad that we're talking about this being the big stretch of the season. And it's two teams that sit at the bottom of the conference, Mm -hmm. but no win is easy at this point. And you know who's really excited? Chris from the full 40. Of course. Butler. And they've made things interesting in their last, in their last half of the season, which I give them a lot of credit for. I still don't think Villanova will have any problems, but. Be careful. <laughs> they literally were up 20 against Providence, who probably is going to win the Big East regular season title. And that's pretty insane. I can't believe they blew that game. I, I, I watched most of that game uh, over the weekend, and I, I could not believe they yeah. blew that insane. game. Insane. It, it really was. We looked at the weekend, then we've got some fun matchups. Butler-Marquette, as I just alluded to. Seton Hall-Xavier, which is always a good game. I'm sure that'll be a, a rock fight between mm-hmm. those two teams. And then the big one is Creighton-Providence on Saturday night. It's 8.30 at the dunk. It is Providence Super Bowl, as we said. If, you know, if they're able to close out Xavier and then find a way to beat Creighton, they do clinch the title. I have a feeling things are going to be pretty wild on Rhode Island on Saturday. 
yeah, they, they got some some good luck of the draws to finish out at home. I'm very worried for my brother's well-being that's physically and mentally. Yeah, that's a fair point. But that is going to be just, I mean, what an insane game. And I think I really think Creighton can give them a, mon- a run for their money, too. I, I can, too. Creighton, they're playing better. Honestly, they're playing better than Xavier at this point. Xavier has completely crashed and burned from going to one of the elite teams in this conference that can't do anything right. Creighton has some weapons. Ryan Hawkins is a winner. Like we talked about way at the beginning of the season, it feels like eons ago that we played Creighton, but I don't think it's, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be easy. Providence never makes it easy anyway, but now they've got some no. legit opponents that they have to go against to have a reason to beat them. Cause they don't want to see Providence winning. This is going to be fun. Yeah. Um, I'm this, psyched. Is, this is going to be really fun. I'm super excited to watch. And yeah, Saturday is a great day. Sunday, not as much. You got UConn, Georgetown, and St. John's DePaul, so I wouldn't call those as right home games. Um, but Saturday <laughs> will be a really fun one to watch, and I know uh, after we're done recording here, uh, we're both going to be watching that Providence game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My mom is hunkered down downstairs as we speak, and she had a – so I was sleeping during the Nova Providence game just as a sneak peek, and I made my family create a new group chat because I did not want to be spoiled. It's one of the few times I did this – I went to bed, turned off notifications, woke up, got to work, watched a 10 or 20 minute highlight and then saw the end of the game. So I think I woke up to a text from you at like 3.30 a.m. Be like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, yeah, Let's they go. Did they did it. <laughs> yeah, so that was cool. <laughs> no, that was fun. And that, that's kind of everything for around the Big East because don't want to get into the games for next week yet um, yeah. with our, our episodes coming up. You would think that next week fatigue will not be an issue against Providence. So I'm hoping for that. It's honestly, that's huge, especially the way Gillespie's ankle got twisted around at the end of uh, the UConn game, having all this time now to rest before playing the Friars at home. I actually do think it's a really big deal and that Villanova kind of lucked out not playing this weekend. Oh, I totally agree. And I actually meant to say something about Colin's ankle and the toughness that he has showed over this last month. It's unbelievable to me how he was able to play through that when that happened at the end of the game. And and you saw, I think, Soon after it happened, he maybe played one defensive possession and then the ensuing offensive possession, they called timeout and he limped off the court. Yeah, he literally could good. barely walk. And then he went out and finished the game and almost won it. And I actually did want to mention too, I actually really like that play call at the end of the game. I know we, I too. you and I agreed about that. It just, just didn't end up going in. But yeah, what an insane, tough moment for Colin as he's done all season long. We shouldn't be surprised, but I think it still deserves some credit. Certainly. Want to finish up with some questions here? Let's do it. Let's do it. So we'll start with our friend Jack McCall, Country Gumbo. Uh, Does this game, meaning the loss against UConn, help or hurt the possibility of a three seed in the East and NCAA NCAA games at Wells Fargo Center versus if we had one out the rest of the way? Uh, I'm going to let you take this one first. Yeah, sure. I so I can and I'll even throw it basically to Brendan Riley and his point that <laughs> I actually think the loss helps solidify them on the three line, mm-hmm. which they are more likely to end up in the east as a three than if they got moved up to a two. If they go to a two, they're probably going to get thrown in either the south or the west would would be my mind because they'd be one of the weaker, the lower two seeds. They still have the possibility to be you know, one of those top three seeds, even with this loss, it's a quality loss, mind you, as we've discussed, this is in no way was a bad loss. So I really don't think when it comes to tournament seeding, it's going to hurt them that much. If anything, it might've solidified and giving them more of a chance at being put in the East. In that home 
quote unquote home advantage. I, th- I thought the same exact thing. And I actually think it behooves Providence to win out so that they can win the Big East title. And try to get kind to of, a three. Yeah, exactly. Kind of let that go. And then Villanova can secure the three in the East. I have wondered, I do think that this quality win for UConn was a bigger deal than Villanova's quality loss. And I, I feel like UConn is one of the question marks in the entire seeding bracket because they have so much talent. You can see that in this win over Villanova, in that win over Auburn at the beginning of the season. For a while, they were the only team that beat Auburn, and who's probably going to end up as a as one seed at this point. But they didn't get it together quickly enough. So I don't know if we're looking at a six. Do you think they could go as high as a four or five? Uh, I think four is too high unless they go on a run here and get some big wins and win the Big East tournament. Then maybe we can look at a four. I think a five is possible. Um, But otherwise, I I think you're looking at a a six seed and going in the NCAA tournament and you have to face UConn as a six seed. That's no fun. That is no fun. I actually really liked what Brendan was saying about staying below four too because then you get the 13s and then you potentially get the 12 five upset which are always dicey always ugly those uh at large teams that come in with a ton of momentum and are trying to wreak some havoc so i i like the way that the east is set up right now i think it's extremely favorable to villanova to be in philly and i cannot say that i was super disappointed with how this loss left them and I, f- I feel like you feel the same way which is a little weird to say it but is. we'll we'll ride with it for now frustrated by how the way things turned out but in the grand of course scheme you of want things, the win yeah. yeah not not the biggest deal and three is going to be the magic number for this yep. team for for seeding if they finish as a three seed you're going to feel pretty good of course that is nowhere near solidified um unless they're able to take care of business here in the regular season and you know win a, a even maybe two games in the the big east tournament um, but looking to our next question from Vega, why isn't this team better winning closed games since it's full of experienced players? So I actually think that's a valid question. It is. I, yeah. I really do when it comes down to the experience and then specifically from the UConn game, the uncharacteristic mistake that Colin and maybe even Jay Wright made by not calling a timeout when they had one available, both in the jump ball scenario and in the final seconds I I can't give you an answer (laughs) I'm sure Pat can't give you an answer either but I think it's just the cohesion of when this team does click they know how each other works so well and if that means giving Slater more room to work because he does look back to almost 100% maybe it's giving Caleb Daniels more looks it's always putting the the ball in Colin's hands and in Jermaine's hands down low, because we know that they can trust them. To me, it almost comes down to roster construction. When you have seven guys, kind of six and a half, I'm sorry, Chris Arch, but that's true. It's just tough to play against teams that are like the Purdue at the beginning, seven, eight, nine, 10 players deep. And all of those guys are really, really high quality players. It's just a different beast. Yep. I I think they, you know, execution just for some reason isn't as clean as it should be for a team that is so experienced. I do wonder how much of it plays into the Allen Ray point of focus as Mm -hmm. well, that, that, that can sometimes leave this team. And then I, I believe that it's a part of just lack of true ball handlers and trusted ball handlers uh, on this team. You know, it's Gillespie, it's more, 
Daniels can, but he's not a true point guard. Archdiakno has his limitations there. There's not a ton of guard depth here for mm. ball handling, you know, and uh, yes, there are some, some two guards and an Antoine or a Longino uh, and, and Daniels is still more of a two as well. I think that plays into it uh, because the, there's not a ton of guys that Jay really trusts to, for with the ball to be in their hands late. I feel like we reversed answers there. A little bit. I, fe- I felt like I say, I said what you usually say and you say what I usually say. So Look I kind of like that. It's good to be back. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> like that. Yeah. But I, do, I, I really do feel like it's a valid question because I'm sure it's, this is what Villanova is known for, right? Their experience. They're one of the oldest teams mm-hmm. in the country and they're dealing with a problem that a lot of young teams deal with. And it's confusing at times. Yeah. And then we've got two more round things out from John Palme. I, we kind of touched on this, so I, I don't think we need to go too far into this. Why such a short bench against UConn? Was it because Jay knows the guys have a week off or lack of trust? Maybe both. Uh, I think it's interesting to actually think that he does have a week. I don't think that factored into it, but it is an interesting point. And I think we did touch on it with the Brendan Riley point. We are unfortunately for the jo- Jordan Longino fans past the point of letting him develop. Jay Wright is not going to waste time putting him in there for him to potentially make mistakes. I say that even though I wish we saw more of him because I do think he adds a much higher ceiling. And unfortunately for Brian Antoine, he got hurt at the wrong time and now he's been backtracked. And it just seems like that is on a loop for his entire career. The poor guy truly cannot catch a break. And I do mean what I said earlier in that I don't think fatigue played a factor in this game. And you would hope that against Providence, it doesn't. But it's just kind of the point that we are now. We are going to ride or die with these seven guys. Pretty much. Uh, I do think a lot of it is, is lack of trust. I, I, yeah. The week off is an interesting point. Uh, I actually do think it probably plays into a little bit, knowing that you know, they don't have to get up and play a game in two days. Um, but I, just, I think he played the guys that he wants to see out there, and, and that's why you see it. And then yeah. finally... I love that he saved this question for you coming back. So this is, thank you, John, for this. <laughs> he um, knew it. He knew it. And just send off the droves of accounts right here. What is more likely to occur first, Jay getting ejected mm-hmm. or wearing another suit? They're all silenced anyway. So I'm not <laughs> you, you, you muted perfect. them all. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love this question. First of all, thank you, John. I do think it is more likely that he wears a suit before he gets ejected. Damn, we agree. Uh, yeah, I, I think I there's know. a chance I, for the suit to come back at some point. I do. I do uh, too. I would be absolutely floored. The floor doesn't even encompass half of it if Jay Wright got ejected. He has been livid at times. Mm-hmm. But to watch him, he would never do something that Dan Hurley did. And if that was the threshold in this game, he would never do that. Jay will get technicals. Jay says a lot of things that are not made for television or uh, or for radio. Um, but I would be rather surprised for him to lose it so much that he got ejected from a game. Yeah. Um, I maybe all he needs is for James Breeding to continue to be a referee for their games, and he could get ejected. But uh, I would be rather shocked if that did come through. You know what we never mentioned too: the James Booknight incident. Oh, the, I was watching when that happened. <laughs> me too. It, what in a what a bizarre week for you. It was so strange. Oh it my god! So, yeah. Having one of your you know your bet or one of your best players the last decade ejected sitting courtside from your game. 
Just another night in the Big East, right? So immature. Yeah, I, c- I couldn't believe it. I still can't even talk about it. So immature. <laughs> Pretty wild. But yeah. hey, welcome back. Thank you so much. So much fun. Thank you to everybody who reached out and welcomed me back. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks again to Pat for covering and Brendan and Eugene. And again, we are getting into the reason why we all do it, right? Mm. It's almost March. It is almost March. We sleep in May. We sleep in May, Mr. (laughs) Rothstein. But all right, that'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VUHoops.com for some articles on UConn, as well as some more through the week as we lead into a big game at the Finn against Providence. A big thank you to our sponsors, Homefield and 19.9 as well. Be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating, and follow us on Twitter at SONNPod. Everyone have a great weekend. We will be back at it on Tuesday at Nova Nation. That's a wrap. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Just go to cars.com. It's magical.